Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, so good to see you. We are so glad that you're with us today. How many of you feel like the Lord's doing a work in all of our lives today? And we are moving forward in His name. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your love, your mercy, your compassion. Lord, speak to us in a very special way that we might feel you, hear you, and do what you say. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. You may be seated. I recently heard of a woman who was a young college student, and she was on spring break had her backpack, she went to the mountains and then down to the beach, she's walking along the edge of the ocean, she sees something shiny in the sand and lo and behold she picks up a lamp and she takes the sand and wipes it off and guess who appears, the genie. And the genie said, thank you for releasing me, Uh, your wish is my command and she said, well listen, I thought we got three wishes. And the genie said, because of the economy, inflation, the COVID virus, And the Biden administration, we're down to one wish now. And uh, she said, well, uh, I've been in classes uh, for uh, half the semester. And she pulled out a map and said, we've heard of all the horrible things. There's riots, there's wars, the Russians in Ukraine. And she said, could you just, uh, you know, give me the the great wish of world peace? And the genie said, "Uh, listen, we hadn't had world peace since the Garden of Eden. And I don't think I can do that. And she said, well... Could, could you give me, um, you know, a real strong, good-looking man who will uh, be rich and do the dishes and bring me flowers and always listen to me? And the genie said, give me that map back. <laughs> Sometimes things just seem impossible, don't they? You know, Carrie read something to me. We went to Oklahoma City yesterday, and she said, let me read this to you, uh, you know, men should not go to bars and the clubs to look for women. They should go to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> because the ratio is so much better. It's 10 to 1, women to men. And women are already there looking for things they really don't need. So uh, <laughs> that's a thought, isn't it? Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we've been on a series called Living Greater, Expecting More from the Sermon on the Mount. And let me tell you, Matt and I have been tag-teaming this. In four weeks, you cannot exhaust what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. And we have the entirety, we think, of this sermon from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's the longest that we have. And if you look at this message, it is a transformational message. The Sermon on the Mount will change your life. And as I said, sometimes it is almost laughable that we can find true happiness in this world and a blessed life, but Jesus has actually given us the keys in this message. And he's saying if you realize your inadequacies, your spiritual poverty, if you mourn over your sins and your iniquities and your shortcomings, if you become meek and humble and empty out your pride and arrogance, if you hunger after the right things, you will be filled with righteousness and the transformation begins. And you will become a merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and will be called a child of God. How many of you know that's all good? Because we need to be a child of God. You need to be a son of God, a daughter of God. 
Now, as we progress through this message, he says, as you transform, you shall become the light of the world. You shall become the salt of the earth. Now, the only reason we can be salt and light is because he's in our life. You're not that, and I'm not that. Uh, you will become the people who will seek to do the will of God. You will be someone who will take sin seriously and marriage seriously. You will be a person that will keep their word, and someone will have the agape love of God in their life. And he says you are in the process of becoming. And all these truths are found in Matthew chapter 5. But in chapter 6, as we segue Jesus comes down hard on the religious people and the religious leaders of his day. Matter of fact, if we put it in reverse, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, there's an old saying that says, Those who preach it by the yard but only live it by the inch should get it by the foot. And I don't know if you've ever had a minister or pastor that way. They preached it hard and straight, and hell was hot, and heaven was good. But how many of you know it's not enough to preach it? You've got to go out and live it. And so we want to live what we preach or attempt to live what we're preaching. In verse number um, uh, 1 of, of Matthew 6, he, he begins, and as he addresses this, he tells us that we should give and give for the right reasons. We should pray, we should fast, and have right priorities. Verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So he's saying we should give, we should give alms. That's the King James Version. You should do good deeds, but you don't do it to be seen or publicly get praise from men. Now, if you get it, that's fine, but that's not the reason you do what you do. Can I hear an amen? So we, we do things that are good for right reasons. We don't want to be hypocritical. We don't want to be like the scribes, the Pharisees. And he says, do it for the right reason. And then he goes into prayer. So verse 5, and as you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. What does he mean by that? Don't show off in public. You don't have to have a long prayer don't use vain repetitions. One translation says don't be, use babblings like the pagans. How many of you know that would be good? We don't babble like pagans. But he says you don't have to use a lot of words here. And then he gives us in chapter 6 the, the model prayer. Now it's not that we just have to repeat that, but our Father which art in heaven, how to be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you can remember back in the Stone Age when we used to say that prayer every morning in school. How do we remember that? And after that prayer, we put our hand over our heart and we did the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I think our world was much better then when we prayed and we had some kind of allegiance and our world has drastically changed. So he's telling us that we should pray. Now, he gives us a model of prayer. You don't just have to repeat that. Nothing wrong with repeating it. It's a very good thing. But he gives us the outline. We, we honor God. He is our Father in heaven. From him all blessings flow. It's there where we ask for our daily bread. We ask 
for forgiveness and we forgive other people. We acknowledge that he has the power, the glory forever and ever and ever. That's the God we pray to. He's our sufficiency. He is the one that every good and perfect gift comes down from. And we acknowledge that in praise and worship and in prayer. So he's saying that we should pray. And then he moves into fasting. We just came from a week of prayer and fasting. Now this is what he didn't say, if you pray and if you fast. He said, when you pray and when you fast. Now let me tell you something about prayer and fasting. It really is a training of your body. It is telling your flesh and teaching your carnal person you will not be in charge of me. Now I want to tell you something. Your flesh will tell you I need to eat three more cookies. I need the third cheeseburger. I, I said in the early service two but uh, I'm correcting the sermon as I go. But, but you know this, and I know this. Your flesh, if you give into it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. That's right. If you give into your desires, your carnality, your flesh, it's going to lead you, it's going to take you somewhere where you don't need to go, where you shouldn't go, and you need to say, I'm not going to walk in the flesh, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And, and Paul tells us this, Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have to deny our flesh, and we have to live in the Spirit. But that doesn't come naturally. It only comes supernaturally according to what Paul said. Now, he's saying th there should be some spiritual disciplines in our life. And Jesus really brings this down. Now, what happens in spiritual disciplines... If we don't watch it, we make a mockery out of them. We make a show out of them. And there's a lot of times, uh, okay, let me stop here and, and give you a caveat. Please don't throw anything at me at, at this point. There are some people in the kingdom of God that do certain things to be a show off. They do things to be seen. Now, should we do those things? Absolutely. Should you get happy? Should you worship? Should you praise? Should you shout, say amen, clap your hands? Should you pray? Should you fast? Should you give? All those things Jesus said we should do. But we should do them for the right reason, in the right way, to glorify Almighty God. Not that you think I'm something, I think you're something, I already think you're something, don't try to impress me. How many of you know, if we do it in secret, he said, your heavenly Father will reward you openly. So should we be exuberant and demonstrative? Absolutely. Because something's going down in our life, in our heart. And I want to feel that, and I want to show that. But there he's saying, don't do it like the scribes and the Pharisees. They go into the synagogue and they want to make the long prayer very verbose. They want you to know that they're very good at praying. They do it at the street corners. They want the praise of men. And so we have to say, I can't go that way. Then he says in chapter 6, he said, you and I should lay up treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. Now, here's the question how in the world do you do that? Well, you got to have your priorities right. So treasure in heaven, right priority. Have the right vision, right perspective, right priority. Place God first, can't serve two masters, right priority. 
When you get your priorities right, how many of you know that blessed, happy life just comes a lot more natural? You don't have to force it. You don't have to push it. You just say, I heard what the Lord said. I'm moving that direction. And we have to be more concerned than just the here and now. You have to be concerned about eternity. Eternal things. Because the here and now is important. How many of you know, I like to eat, you like to eat, all God's children likes to eat. That's pretty weak, but I'll take whatever I can get here. I mean... You want something to drink, you want something to wear, and, and all those things are important. But I have to take care of today and eternity. Because I'm going to spend a lot more time over there than I am here. And you have to understand that. So are you and I laying up treasure in heaven? And here's a great question. How in the world do I do that? Isn't that a good question? How do I lay up treasure in heaven? Matthew 10, 41. If you receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous person, you receive a righteous person's reward. If you treat people right, if you're kind, if you're giving, if you're caring, how many of you know, not only do you bless that person, but in heaven, cha-ching, 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 you're laying up treasure in heaven. This is Revelation twenty-two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus speaking, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And that would be good and bad. If you have good works, good. Bad works, bad. Now, this is Colossians 3, 20, uh, 3, 24. In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you do, I don't care what job you have, you say, well, I'm working for my employer. I'm working for my boss. I'm working for my manager. That is true, but ultimately you're working for the Lord. I'm working for the Lord because he sees your endeavor, he sees your commitment, he sees your honesty, he sees your heart, and he says, if you do the best you can, you are laying up treasure where? In heaven. You help people, you're laying up treasure in heaven. You become a charitable person, you're laying up treasure in heaven. You do what I called you to do, you're laying up treasure in heaven. So we want to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, then he goes into something that I, I want to spend just a little time on this morning, this issue of anxiety and worry. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever, ever in your life have had any anxiety or you've ever worried about something? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand up, I'm worried about you. <laughs> because all of us have had issues in our life where we had anxiety and worry. If we didn't, he wouldn't have to address it. Because we live in a world that is not always certain, doesn't always treat us right, and we don't always get the, the right outcome we want. So therefore, he said in this world you're going to have tribulation, so you have to watch this important issue of anxiety and worry. Now, look with me, if you would, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on it, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So you got to get some lift shoes. You can't worry to get any taller. I said this in the early service. I've used this illustration before. Um, yesterday, Carrie and I were uh, in Oklahoma City. We went to the mall. But several years ago, um, we were at another mall. And this is the way I do. I'll go in and I'll shop with Carrie. I'll walk with her. And after a while, I'm done. And I'll say, baby, you, you can stay as long as you want till you shop. I'm going to go to the car. And listen, I, I can work in the car. I have my iPad, I have my phone. I can outline sermons and, and lessons. And I've done that for years and years. And so I'm in the car. She's in the mall. And it's uh, you know, late spring, early summer. And there, there's all kind of cars everywhere. And I notice all these birds are in the parking lot. And I thought, this is kind of unusual. There's birds everywhere. So I, I got watching the birds. And the birds were going from car to car in the grills of the cars and the bumpers of the cars because if you realize this, your car collects all kind of bugs and grasshoppers and all kind of stuff. And the birds were picking the bugs out of the front of cars. And they thought it was meals on wheels. <laughs> I'm just telling you that... They didn't have to go out a lot because we we're bringing all these bugs in and these birds got it. And the Lord's saying, listen, don't be anxious and don't live a life of worry. Because if I take care of everything, then I'm going to take care of you. Now that's easier said than done. Can I hear an amen to that? It's much harder to do than say this is a... What he's saying, don't worry about food and drink, what to wear, what will happen tomorrow. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 22, 23, what do people get for all the toll and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. How many of you have ever went to bed and your mind just kept spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning? Mine has. You're thinking about what happened that day. You're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. How can I do this? How am I going to provide for this? How, how do I get through this? Everybody's done that. We've all done it. That's why the Bible addresses it. He says, even we lay down on our bed and our mind just keeps going and going and going and going. This is what I know the psalmist said. He that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. So if God's going to be up all night, I'll sleep, let him worry about it. And God doesn't worry about it. How many of you know God has the ability to fix anything in your life if you will let him? If you believe in him? If you have faith in him? Because we sometimes worry over things we shouldn't worry over, be anxious over things that we shouldn't be anxious about. Matter of fact, he said don't be anxious and don't worry, period. Because we have to realize we are living in a very unstable world. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares, your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God is your ultimate provider and problem solver. You participate, I participate, but ultimately God is the one who has to come to our rescue. And my faith is in him. My faith is in the word that he said about him and how to address the things that I have to do. Do you realize, according to the CDC, more than 50% of all people will be diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder, illness, at some time and one point in their life, one in five Americans. Listen, it goes on and on and on. And I never have seen a time 
this is more in the news than now. Have you? I mean, since COVID, I have never, ever seen more things about this issue than I have in my entire life. And I think there would be less of it if we trusted God. I think there'd be less of it if we didn't worry and we weren't anxious. Man, listen, it takes faith to trust God, doesn't it? It, 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 that security that he brings, that, that stableness that he brings. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But listen, why would we have these challenges? Well, because there's trauma, there's abuse, there's violence, there's medical conditions, there's chemical imbalances. And, and listen, let me be very blunt with you. Some of it we just bring on ourselves. Drugs, alcohol, living wrong lives. We self-inflict ourselves. Then we reap the whirlwind. So if we get back to chapter 5 of Matthew, if we do what we should do, become who we should become, a lot of that would just go away. That's good preaching, I know it when I hear it. One of the main components to consider, this is from the National Council for Mental Well-Being. The main components to consider is that worry and anxiety, they both affect us emotionally, physiologically, cognitively, and spiritually. It affects every part of your body. Everything. Stress is a huge thing today. You say, well, that's just mental. It's just, it's just emotional. It's just spiritual. And yeah, it can be physical too. That will turn into something that your physical body will respond to. And there's no way that we can distance ourselves from everything that we could be anxious about and we could worry about. Listen, we, we just went through a global pandemic, and it's still raging around the world. There, there are wars and rumors of wars. There's financial crisis, job crisis. There's a relationship crisis. There are health issues that keep coming up. And if you don't watch it, there'll be something to worry about around every corner of your life. There was something that was shared with me last week, and, and I want to bring this to you. It so impacted me. Crusada Rodriguez, she is a world-famous uh, fashion designer, blogger, writer, a very beautiful lady who's had major success. We have a picture of her that we're going to put up on the screens, and she has uh, been so successful, you know, millions of dollars, worldwide fame. This is out of my wheelhouse, so I don't know very many world-famous designers, uh, fashion, merchandise. Uh, years ago, I, I told the story. This is a true story. Carrie wanted some perfume, a certain kind of uh, perfume for uh, Christmas. And so I went to the mall to get her perfume, but I couldn't remember the name of the perfume. And so I'm there, and there's a guy in the woman's uh, cologne department. And he said, sir, can I help you? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm looking for a certain perfume my wife wants. And he said, could you give the name? And I said, I think it's Michelle Wee. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, sir, I've not heard that perfume name. He said, but I'll look. I mean, he, he looked up every counter. He opened drawers and cabinets. And he said, he said, sir, I just can't find it. I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that's what she said. So I, I went home. I said, Carrie, I, I tried to find your perfume, and I can't find it. And uh, that, that um, 
Michelle, we perfume, they just don't have it. And she said, Mike, Michelle Wee is a professional golfer. It's Vera Wang. I said, well, no wonder the guy couldn't find it. I mean, we're, we're looking for Michelle Wee. So, so this lady, very, very well known, uh, very successful. But let me give you the rest of the story. This is a message that she gave as she's being treated for stomach cancer. I have the world's most expensive brand of cars in my garage, but now I travel in a wheelchair. My house is full of all kinds of designer clothes, shoes, expensive things, but my body's wrapped in a small sheet provided by the hospital. There's enough money in the banks, but that money is of no use to me now. My house is like a palace, but I'm lying in a double-sized hospital bed. I used to go from one five-star hotel to another five-star hotel, but now I spend my time in the hospital going from one lab to another. I signed autographs for hundreds of people, but today the doctors notice my autograph. I had seven beauticians doing my hair. Today I don't have a single hair on my head. In a private jet, I can fly wherever I want, but now I have to have the help of two people to go to the balcony of the hospital. Although there are many foods, my regime is two pills a day, a few drops of saline at night. This car, this house, this jet, this furniture, so many bank accounts, so much prestige and fame, none of these are of any use to me. None of this can comfort me a bit. Some people's faces and their touch are comforting. There is nothing more true than death. The most important thing in life is love. There's only one life once and for all. Live it, do good, and live every moment. That is an Instagram by this precious lady who died at the age of 40. Sometimes we think, if I was blessed and happy, I'd have this and this and this and this, and nothing wrong with those things. However, it doesn't always make us happy. How many of you know there's more important things in life? There's more things that we should seek after and, and look for. And I want to tell you, the Sermon on the Mount goes far beyond the law of Moses. Jesus is bringing these people, he's speaking to Jewish people, he's speaking to Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders, and let me tell you what he does. He one-ups it. And that chapter 7, as he gets ready to close out the message, Sermon on the Mount, he said there is one gate, and there is one way, and it is narrow, and you have to be on it. Oh, there's another gate. It's wide. And the road is wide. The pathway is wide. And there's going to be many and most people on that road. Here's the question for you and I today. What gate have you went through and what road are you on? Because there's only one right road. I appreciate what Matt said about us preaching the Word of God. There are not a dozen ways to get to heaven. Or half a dozen. Or two. There's only one. And that's Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or through me. So we have to realize there is a 
narrow gate and there is a straight way. Not 10 ways, one way. Not a dozen gates, a narrow gate. Not many paths, but one straight one. And he's bringing it into a context where they don't really understand how powerful he's bringing this message. He says things like this, you've heard. Oh yeah, they heard. They knew it. They had memorized it. Oh, you've heard. Yeah, you've heard. You've heard that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Let me one-up you. Not only love your neighbor, love your enemy. Listen, you've heard that you should not commit adultery. I'm going to one-up it for you. If you even look at a person and lust after them, you've committed adultery. You've heard that you should not commit murder. I'm going to one-up it. If you even look at a person and hate them, you've committed murder in your heart. You know what he's doing? He's taking the law to a whole nother level that they've never seen before. I want to show you how chapter 5 ends. It's powerful. You may not have thought about this. Verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Did he really say that? The standard is perfection? That's what he said. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And let me just confess this. There's no way I can do that. And there's no way you can do that. There's no way anybody here can do that who's ever lived except one. This walk, this earth, and that's Jesus Christ. He didn't come just to do away with the law. My friends, he fulfilled it. And the only way that you and I will ever stand perfect before Almighty God is through what Jesus Christ has already done. Perfect sacrifice. Spotless, sinless. And when I believe in him, when I trust him, when I accept what he's done for me, let me tell you what's happened. Now I have taken his righteousness. He took my sin, my iniquity, my shortcomings, and now I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now that perfection that he had, he imparted and imputed that to me by faith. So if Jesus said, look at it again, therefore you shall be perfect, Hey, scribe, you want to know what the standard is? Perfection. Isn't it odd if the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, he could look at them and say, you are perfect. You are my perfect creation. You have no sin. You have no iniquity, but you have a choice. And when you exercise that wrong choice, now you are no longer perfect. You are fallen, but I am still perfect. And a perfect man lost this in the garden. And a perfect one had to win it back in another garden. And now, therefore, the standard, according to Jesus, verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect. Did he say that? He said it. So where is our perfection coming from? It's coming from our Lord. That's where it's coming from. And now, as he closes out that sermon Let's put it in reverse again. Let's go to the end. He said, now, when the storm comes and the wind blows 
and the rain descends and the flood rises, you're going to be a survivor. You're going to get through this. And the only way you're going to survive these storms in your life is that you have to have your life built on the rock. And how many of you know he is the rock? You see, my friends, the rest of the story is, and if you don't build on the rock but the sand, it's only a matter of time you're going to be blown away in your life. You see, the whole message from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7 is to get you positioned in the right place so that when the storm comes, you and I can be founded on the rock, capital R. That rock is Jesus Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. And that's him. Who he is, what he's done, what he said. If you will hear these words and do them, then you will be like a person who built their life on the rock. Oh, my friends, isn't heaven going to be great? Isn't building the kingdom of God great? You see, if, if we listen to what he said, if we get placed where we should be, if we do what we should be doing, if we become who we should become, then you and I are going to live a blessed, happy life. Not as the world sees blessing, not as the world sees happiness, because the world's view is external and circumstantial. If this happens, I'm happy. If I get this, I'm blessed. Now listen. You may not get this or that, but you can still be blessed and happy. Because it's not external, it's internal. See, your blessing and happiness doesn't come from the outside in. It starts on the inside, and it permeates outward. That's the true message. And Jesus began every time in those eight statements in chapter 5. Blessed are those. Happy are those who. Let me tell you, he just gave us the keys to live a blessed, happy life. Bow your head. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your love, your compassion. And thank you for the keys in the word. The words that we can live our life, face our challenges, face our difficulties, face a troubling, shaken world. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us the formula, the power, the faith to exercise, to live a blessed, happy life. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to know him. You have got to give your life to him to live that kind of life. One narrow gate, one straight road. If you're not on it, you hadn't walked through it, you need to. It takes courage, it takes faith. You've got to be a believer. If you've not done that today, let me encourage you, today's your moment. If you don't know Christ, or maybe you've drifted away and you've kind of strayed off of that, that narrow path, 
Would you be so honest and courageous just to raise your hand with mine and say, Pastor, I want to get back to where I need to be. I want to go where I need to go. I want to get through that gate where I need to find eternal life. Thank you, thank you for raising your hands today, acknowledging that. This is what I also know. You can be a believer. You can be a strong believer. And yet you still feel the wind blow and the rain fall and the flood rise. And you and I need to make sure that we're on the rock. So before we leave today, let me ask you, is there something blowing in your life? Is, is, is there some rain descending? Is there some flood rising that we need to pray about today? Is there something in your life that we could use some help in? I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, if, if you could use some help in a certain area of your life, would you raise your hand with me? I got mine up. I can always use help. And the greatest help we'll ever get is from the Lord. It's the greatest we'll ever get. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and stand across this front. If you raised your hand for any reason, if you want to accept the Lord today, rededicate your life. If you have a storm in your life, there's something going on you need to pray about. I know you're going to go to heaven and you love the Lord, but if you need some help today, let us join with you to pray. Let's give these folks a hand. People are still coming right now. Come on, church. Let's thank them for coming today and encourage them as they come. Now, I need about 50, 60 praying people. Would you come and gather around these people? Let's be the church today. Hang on just for a moment. We're going to leave here. But listen, we have come to this place to pray and believe and to trust people as we bring them to the Lord that their faith is going to be in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're trusting you to come with your need, to be honest. Would you come and just lay your hand on somebody's shoulder? Come on, folks. There's people standing here. Let, let's, let's join around them. Let's pray with them. Let's encourage them. Let's make sure they are being helped today. Would you join up with somebody right now? Come on, let's pray together. Stretch, stretch your hand out here. Stretch your prayers out here. Let's pray together. Father, right now, as we come around these folks, as we ask the Lord for help, encouragement, as we speak a word in their life, as we believe with them, as we trust them, to come to you where their help is. God, we, we trust them to come to you. That's where their help is. So Lord, bless them. When they leave today, let their life be changed. Let them be different than when they came. And God, we just pray for your strength to be their strength. Guide their steps. God, touch their hearts. Let them pour their life out to you. And that's our prayer right now in Jesus' name. Well, I want to invite you back tonight at 6. We are going to have baptismal service. And then, of course, as Randy and Matt spoke, next Sunday, we're having a transitional Sunday. I want every person to be here and bring somebody with you. We have people coming from Texas and Arkansas and Alabama to be in that service. And uh, we're going to have the 8.30 service. We're going to have the 10.45 service. And, and if I were you, this is what I'd do. I'd come at 8.30 and come at 10.45 both. Because uh, it's going to be a little bit different. So we love you. We, we, we thank you. We praise God for you. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. You have a great afternoon.
We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.